Our scripture passage for today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of, of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which, is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to our in-person service. So, to good, so good to see all of you who are with us today. And of course, we welcome those of you who are watching us at home through our live stream service. We hope and pray that this week was one to where God was faithful and you were aware of his faithfulness. And now let's get ready for the most exemplary example of God's faithfulness to us by asking for his presence to be among us as we hear his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us now as we sit at your feet asking for your spirit to descend upon us and move in us into greater conviction, into deeper confession, as well as now to the uh, conclusion of living out our purposes for your glory. Father, we have gone through these past six days with much turmoil and with much struggle and Lord, we now come to you weary and tired, ready for you to fill us with rest and to fill us with hope. Help us to receive all that it is that you want us to receive in today's word. And we pray that you will bless it in spite of the messenger who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have you guys ever heard the phrase life metaphor before? You guys ever heard that expression life metaphor? Well, chances are, if you're like me, you probably never heard that actual phrase before. But also, if you're like me, you probably heard many, many examples of life metaphors. See if any of these jog your memory. Life is like a box of chocolates. You'll never know what you're going to get. Or life is a carousel. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, and sometimes you're just going round and round. And then there's this one. Life is like a game of cards. You have to play the hand that you have been dealt with. And who could ever forget this one? Life is short, play hard. A life metaphor is an expression that attempts to explain the purpose of life, the meaning of life, the goal of life in the context of some analogous common experience that we all go through. And if you ever ask the Bible what would be the life metaphor it would give to us to follow, I would imagine it would go something like this. Life is ministry you were created to serve. Life is ministry you were created to serve. 
We're continuing our sermon series through the core values of NCF, and the whole purpose of this series is to understand the fundamental convictions that uniquely identify us as a church, but also clarifies the priorities that we are to have as a ministry. And today we take a look at the fourth core value that drives us as a church, and that's METS. M-E-T-S, and no, I'm not talking about the greatest baseball franchise in the history of human history. Amen. But I'm actually talking about members equipped to serve. M-E-T-S, METS. See, the Bible tells us that God wants us to see the world not like a box of chocolates, not like a carousel, not like a game of cards or something to which you have to play hard in. No, God wants us to see life as a ministry to where he wants to see our identity as fundamentally people who are called to serve so that we can fulfill our prime mission in life, which is to be a blessing to those around us, something that assumes the necessity of servanthood. And today, as we take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, we're going to see about all what Paul has in mind when he helps us understand this concept of what it means to have a mindset of ministry and the identity of a servant. So with that in mind, three things I want to share with you from today's passage. First, we're going to talk about this idea about every member being a minister. Every member is a minister. And then we're going to talk about the ministries every member has. And then we're going to end it with how every member can do these ministries. Every member is a minister, the ministry every member has, and how we can fulfill these ministries. Let's begin with the first point. Every member is a minister. Let me ask this question. How many pastors do we have here at NCF? If I had asked you, how many pastors do we have amongst us in our church community? If you respond by saying, well, that's easy, PJ. We have two pastors, you and Pastor Charles. If you gave me that answer, I would completely understand why you would, but I would also tell you that you are completely wrong. Now, I grant that's kind of a trick question because I know that when most of you think of the word pastor, you think of a specific individual who's been formally trained theologically and has also been vetted through some denominational institution into the ordained office of pastor. And indeed, that is a correct way of understanding the word pastor. It definitely is. But if you look at our passage in verse 11, here the apostle Paul tells us that even though pastor is a special office that God has created for certain individuals to fulfill, but not all members of the church to fulfill, nevertheless, pastors have a specific service to provide to the church. And you know what that service is? He tells us in verse 12, what is the unique service pastors are to give to the church? He tells us right there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word saints is a word that embodies every Christian or simply put every member of the body of Christ. Okay, And what that means practically is my primary service to you, Pastor Charles' primary service to you, is not fundamentally to provide an awesome worship experience, to officiate your weddings, or to baptize your beautiful babies, as important and as wonderful as those things are. No, our primary service to you as your pastors is to equip you to do the work of ministry, hence to make you all into ministers or pastors, however way you want to put it. Over and over, the scriptures tell us that every Christian, not just 
ordained pastors are called to do the work of ministry, making every Christian a true minister or pastor. Consider how the apostle Peter echoes what Paul is saying in our passage. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He writes, and you, Christians, are living stones that God is building up into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are all his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. In reflecting on this very passage of 1 Peter, the great German reformer Martin Luther once said these words, quote, In this way, we are all priests or pastors or ministers, clothed and adorned with the same holiness of Christ. This is the beautiful and glorious priesthood of those who are always in the presence of God and serve him with a true and holy service. Our priestly garments are nothing else than the beautiful divine and various gifts of the Holy Spirit, end quote. We're all called to be pastors and ministers. Now I know some of you are thinking, PJ, I can't be a minister. Even though I consider myself a Christian, I can't do the things that you do. I can't stand and preach in front of people like you are right now. I hate public speaking. I can't do counseling, PJ. I need counseling. I can't do word studies in Greek and Hebrew. I barely pass fifth grade Spanish, or I can't even read books of 500 pages plus on theological tombs. I barely made it through the, you know, the Harry Potter series. I can't do what you do, pastor. To which I would reply, hey, no one is telling you you have to. Now you're confused. You're like, wait a minute, you just said that every Christian is a minister or a pastor, and you are a minister, and you do those things, preaching, counseling, reading massive tombs, doing word studies in Greek and Hebrew. So I'm confused. Well, let me see if I can unconfuse you. Read again verse 7 and 8 of our passage where Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. Notice how at the end of verse 8, Paul pluralizes that word gifts, telling us that God gives a wide variety of spiritual gifts gifts in fact that's what the luther quote said a moment ago the holy spirit gives every member a wide variety of spiritual gifts telling us what that through the variety of spiritual gifts he also gives us a variety of ministries for us to fulfill as his ministers you see when paul tells us that god calls every christian to be a minister that doesn't mean that god calls every christian to do the work of an ordained minister no we all have differing variety of ministries that we're called to do in light of the fact that we all have a variety of different gifts that God gives to us based on his own divine prerogative. So, for example, some of you may be called to do ministries that require more word-oriented gifts like preaching and teaching, whereas others of you might be called to do ministries that require more deed-oriented gifts like mercy and hospitality. Others of you might be called to do ministries that require more public-oriented gifts like faith and leadership. Others of you might require more behind-the-scenes-oriented gifts like intercession, giving, and helps. Whereas others of you might be called to more relational-oriented gifts like evangelism, exhortation, encouragement, missions. And then, of course, there are some of us who are called to more functional-oriented ministries that require more functioning-oriented gifts like administration and service. The point is simple. All of us, as ministers of God, are called to a wide variety of differing ministries in light of the various gifts that we have. Now, with that said, I do want to make a little bit of a qualification there. And the reason why I feel the need to do this is because I have seen a tendency amongst Christians today that quite honestly is disappointing for a pastor to see. You see, many Christians, as they attempt to figure out what their spiritual gift, 
They're driven by ulterior motives, by an agenda that is not very God-honoring. Because what most people try to do as they figure out their spiritual gifts is try to craft the most unique, the most one-of-a-kind, the most unrepeatable kind of ministry that sets them apart, makes them seem so exclusive, so one-of-a-kind, thereby giving them an air of arrogance, an air of elitism, air of like, no one can be like me. I am irreplaceable. But look at what Paul says in verse 12. Just a portion of it. To equip the saints for the work of ministry... For building up the body of Christ. Notice, Paul says that there are a wide variety of ministries, but here he singularizes the word ministry. He says there's only one ministry. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does Paul say that there's really one ministry when, in fact, he said a moment ago, there are multiple ministries? Because he's trying to tell us that all of the various ministries that we can do, all of it has one main ministry goal in mind, one main ministry that we are to fulfill through our various ministries. And it's not to build up your own individual ego. It's not to build up your own individual ministry brand. It is to build up the body of Christ, the body of Christ. But what exactly does that mean, Paul? What do you mean when you say that we're called to build up the main ministry known as the body of Christ? Well, to answer, let me go to my next point, and we're going to stay on this for the majority of today's sermon. The ministries every member has. Now, as an ordained pastor, I have a ministry, right? I have a ministry. What's my ministry? NCF, right? NCF is my ministry. But here's the thing. In order for me to fulfill this ministry known as NCF, I have to also fulfill multiple ministries that make up NCF, right? I am personally responsible for example, the ministry of Sunday worship, where I'm the person who decides everything of what has to happen, but also takes full responsibility and accountability for it. I am the person who is mainly responsible for all the counseling that happens in the church, whether it's premarital, postmarital, general, vocational counseling. I am responsible for the overall leadership of this church, where I oversee our staff, where I lead our D board so that collectively we can lead the church in the way that God wants us to go. I am personally responsible for the intercessory ministry of our church, where I lead our prayer ministry, where I personally pray consistently and chronically for every single member of this church. I have multiple ministries that I must fulfill if I want to fulfill the main ministry known as NCF. And here's the thing. None of these ministries are things that come out of my own creative imagination. I didn't create the ministry of worship, the ministry of intercession. These are ministries that God has already predetermined that every ordained pastor is to do. And that same concept applies to you, Christian. All of you have one main ministry. It is to build up the body of Christ. But to do that, you must do ministries that God calls each and every one of you to do. Ministries that you don't get to create, that you don't get to fabricate out of your own vainglorious, egotistical ways, but ministries that God has determined beforehand. And that's what I want to do for the rest of this message. I want to give you a quick overview of what those ministries are. And let's take a big look at the very first ministry, in fact, the most important ministry that you could ever do for God. And that is our ministry to know God. Read a portion of what it says in verse 13. Until we attain to the unity of faith, and then listen to what he says. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here Paul is telling us that if you want to build up the body of Christ, you first and foremost must know God and grow in your knowing of God. And what that basically means is, is that you must grow in your obedience to, in your dependence of, and in your affections for God. 
Growing in the knowledge of God means that you grow in your obedience to, dependence on, and affection for God. That is the most crucial, the most important ministry of all. And the question you might be wondering is, why? Why is this particular ministry so important and so vital? Consider this quote from Pastor Charles Spurgeon as he writes, quote, There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, in them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with a thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away from the thought, alas, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. End quote. Listen to what Spurgeon says about God. He is so vastly deep. He is so intricately complex. He is so terrifyingly beautiful that the way you know more of this God, the more you feel so insignificant, the more you feel so small, and the more you are humble to where you realize you're not the center of this universe, meaning your desires, your demands, are not the priority of anyone, and it even shouldn't be your priority. This is why. This is the most important ministry that you must fulfill because this ministry sets you in the right state of mind so that you can do the other ministries. You stop fixating on yourself and you start focusing on the people around you. So with that established, now let's move on to the other ministries that God calls us to do. Let's read again that same verse of verse 13 that I just read a moment ago. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see that word unity? That one word encapsulates the second ministry that God calls us to fulfill as his ministers. And that is the ministry to the church. The ministry to the church. We didn't read the first three verses of chapter 4. So let's do that now where Paul wrote, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here Paul tells us that God holds every Christian responsible for maintaining the unity that Jesus established for us when he died on the cross. In other words, when Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's hill, he created a unity between us, amongst us, that we are now responsible to maintain. Now, you're probably wondering, how exactly did Jesus do that? I don't understand. Well, maybe this illustration could help. My wife, Sarah, when she gave birth to our five kids, she literally bled for them. She shed her blood so that they could live, right? And by virtue of doing that, she created a bond of fellowship amongst those five kids. My five children didn't create unity amongst them. They didn't agree and sign a covenant that says, okay, let's all agree to create this family. No. Family was created amongst them by virtue of their mother shedding their blood. Okay, But now, as a family, it is their responsibility to maintain that unity by learning how to love, to share, to sacrifice. And that same concept applies when it comes to maintaining the unity of the church. That is our call to the ministry to the church. Listen to what Paul says in verse 16. When each part, that is each member of the church, is working properly, that is, is ministering to other Christians, that is what makes the body grow. So what? It builds itself up in love. Here in a nutshell is what Paul is saying. In order to fulfill this second ministry to the church, 
Every Christian must treat the church for what it is. It is fundamentally a family, a family, to where you maintain the unity the way my five children are called to maintain the unity that their mother created when she shed their blood. As Jesus shed his blood for us, it is now our responsibility to maintain the unity amongst us. So we don't create unity, okay? So this whole nonsense I sometimes hear, oh, PJ, I don't feel like this is my church, and I feel like I can't create community. It's not up to you to create community, but it is up to you to maintain it. And practically what that means is that you give your time, you give your talents, you share and you sacrifice to be a part of this family to where you treat it as such and you prioritize it as a family, okay? So where you serve, you give, you make your life available to the lives of those around you. And so if you are here and you've been part of our church for many years and you've just been sitting on your rear end making no contribution, coming in and out as you please, not giving your time, not giving your energy, not giving your lives to where you establish Christian friendships, you know what you're essentially saying? You're essentially saying that this isn't my family and more scary, you're saying, Jesus didn't shed his blood for me. That's how serious this is, folks. When Christians do not do the effort of maintaining unity, it's as if they're saying, I'm not a Christian. Because a true Christian is not just an isolated person in relation to God. A Christian is a person who is embedded in family. And you must prioritize this family. But with that said, let me make sure that you don't take what I just said to an extreme. Because though it is true that God calls us to prioritize spiritual family known as the church, that isn't the only family he calls us to prioritize. Listen again to what he says, verse 13, this time in full. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, there's a phrase in here that's a little out of place, or it seemingly seems out of place, and that's the phrase, to mature manhood. Because according to New Testament scholars, that phrase essentially refers to what we would call a family man. It's specifically a terminology used to refer to a man who is married and have kids. Because in the ancient world, that's who a mature man was, a person who was married and had kids. Here's the question. Why is Paul using the imagery of a family man in the context of a discussion about ministry? Because he's telling us the third ministry that God calls all of us to fulfill. And that's the ministry to our own biological family. Consider again what Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. God expects you to fulfill your ministry to him by seeing your family as your ministry, okay? If you are married, that means you are a minister to your spouse. If you are a parent, you are a minister to your children. If you are a sibling, you are a minister to your brother or sister, right? And this is something we need to grasp because many of us grew up in a tradition where we only see ministry as happening in the church and we sometimes neglect the ministry to the family. I know a lot of pastors who have made this mistake. I've even been approached by such pastors telling me, trying to teach this young buck of a pastor that I am, John, you take care of the church. God will take care of your family. Basically, don't worry about your family. Just put all your worries on church. I would look at these men as if they just lost their minds because clearly their minds have not been in Scripture because the Bible says over and over, God expects you to care for those who are of your household. Otherwise, 
You're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than a pagan. Okay? This is something we must take seriously. And no amount of excuse will allow God to get you off the hook. Think of it something like this. Imagine one day I come home, and my wife says to me, Honey, your son, Judah, he's not doing his chores. Hasn't been doing his chores for over two weeks. You know, and his sisters, you know, are trying to help him out, but now they can't get their stuff done. I can't get my stuff. Can you talk to your son for me, please? To which I go, all right, son, come here. Judah, your mother's telling me that you're not doing your chores. What's going on? Now, let's assume my son says, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm so busy with school, and I volunteered for this and I'm part of this club, and I'm busy on that night doing this stuff for school, right? You know what I'm going to say to him? I'm going to be like, boy, no, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to be like, son, I don't do that, guys. I'm going to say, son, you better do both, right? Because you are more than capable of having a life of school and a life of family because you're designed to be capable of doing multiple ministries, you're capable of doing these things. And essentially, I believe Paul would say the same to us. God doesn't expect you to say to him, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't really spend time with my kids because I was too busy doing stuff for church. I was too busy doing things at NCF to where, don't put it on me, don't blame me, if you end up neglecting your own family. Because I'm not going to take the blame for that, and God will not allow you off the hook for that. Okay? God created us to be capable of doing multiple ministries. In fact, there's two more ministries that I've yet to talk about that Paul tells us. In fact, let's do that now. Read again what he says there in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see those two phrases, human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes? In these two phrases, Paul is indirectly telling us the two other ministries that God calls every Christian to fulfill. Let's take a quick look at both of them, beginning first with the craftiness and deceitful schemes. That phrase in the Bible is always referring to those who make a living doing evil, atrocious, unjust things. People who make a living for themselves and for their families doing evil work, whether it be being a mobster, a drug lord, you know, a kingpin of some sort, sex trafficking kind of guru, right? Paul says that's not the kind of work we are to do, which implies that we are to do a different kind of work, namely the opposite kind of work. Read down to verse 21 of this very chapter. Paul writes this. Since then you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Paul tells us that your work, that your vocation is a ministry to the world for the glory of God. Your work, what you do for a living, and this is not for those of you who are ordained pastors like myself and PC. No, every Christian, your job is a ministry to the world for the glory of God. And you know what that means? That means when you work, you don't work for the glory of yourself which usually comprises of people who think this way. Okay, what kind of job is going to give me the most amount of money, the most amount of prestige, the most amount of status, the most amount of comfort? No. The work processing that you should do as you consider the kind of work God wants you to do is what kind of work can I do that will utilize my spiritual gifts for the good of the world, for the glory of God? 
your job from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, and sometimes Saturday, should be for the purposes of glorifying God, not yourself. Consider what Paul says elsewhere, 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed we, you before. The people, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Do you know one of the ways that Christians undermine their testimony to a watching world? It's when Christians do terrible work. I cannot stand it when I hear about Christians doing shoddy work, lazy work, incompetent work, half-hearted work, or even unethical work. That undermines the testimony of the church. It undermines the preaching of the gospel, and it undermines your witness to bring glory to God. Your work is a ministry to the world, folks, because it's for the glory of God alone and not you. You see? That's the fourth ministry God calls us to do to see our ministry in work to a world that gets blessed by it for the glory of God. Now let's move on to the fifth and final ministry that God calls all of us to, and that's embodied in that phrase, human cunning. That phrase, human cunning, is always in the context of a person who exploits another person who is easy to be exploited. These are the poor. These are the oppressed. These are the broken, the forgotten, the forsaken, the infants, the, excuse me, the infants, the orphans and widows the alien, the strangers, the sojourner, right? Over and over, Scripture warns us as followers of God to not partake or participate in the ways of human cunning. Most exemplified seen in Proverbs chapter 1. Listen to what it says. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit of death. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses and all the stuff we take. Come, throw in your lot with us, and we'll all share the loot. The author of Proverbs says, Christ follower, do not partake. Do not participate in the ways of human cunning because you are called to do the opposite. You are to go against the ways of human cunning by promoting justice and mercy. Over and over, Scripture commands the followers of God to help the oppressed, to care for the widows, to provide for the poor and the hungry, to take care of the broken, the forgotten, the forsaken, or what we call here at NCF our BFFs. We are called to serve the poor, those who have been victimized by individuals, by society, and by the institutions of our culture. That is what God calls all of us to fight against, the victimization and exploitation of the poor and the needy. So there you have it. The five ministries that are required to fulfill if you want to fulfill building up the body of Christ. Your personal ministry to God, your ministry to the church, your ministry to the family, your ministry to work, and your ministry to the BFFs of the world, the broken, the forsaken, and the forgotten. Now, (laughs) it's at this point, you're probably feeling like you're already ready to take a nap, right? It just sounds so overwhelming, so exhausting. That's a lot of stuff. How in the world are we able to do all of this? Well, I believe that Paul and I, as your pastor, agree. I want to encourage you. He wants to encourage you that this is not as overwhelming as you think. And to show you how, I go to my final point, how every member can do these ministries. Uh, One day, not too long ago, um, my oldest child, Kara, confessed to me that she was pretty overwhelmed 
and feeling stressed out. And obviously, as her father, that's not something that makes me feel good. And so when I sat her down, I asked, honey, what's wrong? Why are you feeling so overwhelmed? And this is what she said, daddy, I see what you and mom do, right? How you are so busy taking care of us, taking care of everyone at church, Daddy's going from meeting to meeting. You're, you're just so doing this. You're always either reading or you're praying or you're meeting with somebody or you're always on the phone or, and, 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 and you're paying for the bills and then you have to go grocery shopping for all of us. And I just feel so overwhelmed. I don't think I could ever do what you and mommy do. And I looked at her and I said, look, I understand that when you look at people who are adult, mature adults, all that they do seem overwhelming and therefore impossible. But look, you are part of a family, Kara, right? You have a mommy and a daddy who are going to educate you, who are going to equip you, who are going to empower you to do these things. And one of the things that you'll discover as you mature is that it will become more doable and less overwhelming. And I assured her of that promise because I also know Paul makes that promise to all of us who are part of God's family. Listen to what he says starting in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's Paul saying? He's saying the exact same thing I said to Kara. We're in this together, and we're all going to help and support each other so that we can get educated, so that we can get equipped, so that we can be empowered to do what now may seem a little bit overwhelming and daunting. But sure enough, as we come together and as we stay together, we mature together. And soon, what seems virtually impossible, what seems so overwhelming, becomes more possible and much of something that we are capable of doing. That is what God promises us in his word. Because he has given us the means in which to do it. He's given us the means to grow up. If you missed that sermon, go back and watch it. It'll explain all of that, okay? God will give us the power to do so because he has given us his Holy Spirit through the gospel. And so this is my encouragement to all of you here and those of you watching. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get stressed out. We're in this together. We're gonna grow up together and we're gonna fulfill this ministry of building up the body of Christ for the glory of God and for the good of the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. And though it seems daunting and though it is challenging, we also know that we are able to succeed because of the promises that you made and the power that you give us to fulfill that promise, which is your spirit that works in us and dwells within us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that through your work on the cross, you unleashed the gracious power of the Spirit of God to give us gifts so that collectively we come together to build up this body. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful, as intimidating as it might be, and as overwhelming at times it might become. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would give us the assurance that we will trust in your promises and rely on your power to do this great work of building up your body for the glory of God and for the good of the world. Hear us now and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, I invite you, brothers and sisters, let's respond to the Lord by standing together and singing praises to him.